Hello everyone and welcome back to the Ireland Football Fans Podcast. I'm Joseph McCarthy of the Irish Abroad Football Statistics website and I'm joined again by Mark Kennedy of Hawkeye Psychic and Philip Flanagan of the Bottomless Pit of Football. Uh, we're going to discuss the last two games played by the Republic of Ireland men's team this year, which also turned out to be the last two games uh, managed by Stephen Kenny, uh, qualifier for Euro 2024 against the Netherlands and a friendly uh, against New Zealand three days later. Uh, lads, it's it's good to talk to you both again. How are you? Yeah, all good, Joe and Phil. Yeah, uh, looking forward to dissecting the Kenny era here. Yeah, all good. Yeah, it'll be an interesting chat, I think. Kick off! As we record tonight, the news has, hasn't long broken that Stephen Kenny's contract would not be renewed his coaching staff have also been relieved of their duties. I think we're, we're going to do a full episode on Stephen Kenny's time in charge soon, but for now we'll just focus on the those last two games. So if we get started with the game against the Dutch on Saturday, going into the game, it's fair to say that nobody really gave us much of a chance. Uh, the Dutch knew that a win would guarantee them qualification for the Euros next year in Germany and even if they didn't win they had the backup of a final qualifier against Gibraltar to come and with it on almost certain three points. After the two games uh, in October the loss to Greece and the win against Gibraltar the Republic of Ireland were, were out of the tournament and we were really looking to save some face for the qualifiers ended. And that lasted all of 11 minutes until former Manchester United Loney Vaut Beghorst uh, broke through on the Irish left. Uh, two players collided with each other, giving the striker uh, almost half of the pitch to run into almost unchallenged before beating Gambazunu at his near post. And, you know, it was another punch in the face. Uh, whatever plan we had went out the window and... It ultimately decided the game. We finished the game with only uh, one shot on target. So even if that had gone in, we wouldn't have come away with a win. It meant we finished the qualifying series, um, having lost six games for the first time uh, after losing five in the 1970 World Cup and 1972 European Championships qualifying campaigns. It meant the atmosphere at the final game of the year against New Zealand at Aviva Stadium uh, played out in a half-empty stadium uh, with a fairly funereal atmosphere. Mark, look, we always spend too much time on these two games, but what did you think of the the qualifier against the Dutch? To be fair, at the start, guys, maybe the first maybe five to eight minutes, uh, we seemed to be kind of 50-50, to be honest. We had the Alan Brown chance early. We seemed to be kind of imposing our will on the game. But again, it's just the self-inflicted wounds, hasn't it been... Being always the case defensively, where, and to be fair, like Nathan Collins, he overcommits on a ball. Big horse basically turns him, but again, I'm just questioning in terms of our recovery in midfield, but also our defensive shape as well, that we can't counteract that. Like, how far out is both Veghorst from goal? Is he about 35, 40 yards out? It really, to me, it was alarming just in terms of how he could just literally stroll into the penalty area. Now it was a good shot. I mean, I think some people were critical. I think I was critical at the start when the goal went in, but look, it was a powerful strike. Bazuna had no chance, but I think, again, it's more defensive vulnerabilities at play, and I suppose it's party time in the Ajax Arena then thereafter. I think the disappointing aspect for me, Joe, is that heads went down fairly quickly, and to be perfectly honest, this Dutch team... I think a better team does really hammer us. And I think it's something that you said as well, Phil, while we were watching this game on Saturday. I think better teams, Tumpus, maybe four or five, just given the chances that they created. I know Gakpo had a chance. Simons was basically getting an awful lot of space in between our midfield and defence. Our midfield area just didn't know where to turn. Did they push up? Did they not? The, the overall game plan, I think, was to try to keep compact as much as we can. But after 11 minutes, the game plan was over and... I did feel sorry a little bit for Josh Cullen and maybe Jason Knight as well because there was an awful lot of vulnerabilities there. An awful lot of running with these two guys had to do to try to shore up space. Pretty disappointing. I think it was uh, class told, unfortunately. Two teams in 
different directions, I'm afraid. I don't think this is a classic Dutch team. Don't get me wrong. There's still a lot of very good players in the side. Maybe not up to the standards of even 13 years ago when they reached the World Cup final. Phil, look, uh, we went in at halftime, one nil down. It didn't look like we were going to create anything. Stephen Kenny brought on Adam Ida, and then we saw the introduction of Jamie McGrath, Mikey Johnston, Jason Malumby, and Troy Parrott right at the very end of the game. But do you think there was anything else he could have done to change the result? No, unless he went back in time and changed his whole setup and philosophy before the game. Not really. Like, and just on your, your both your points about the Dutch team not being great shakes, like, you're absolutely right. And I remember all the talk was, before the group started, was that maybe we could take a point off these lads. They're not great. And if you rewind to the second last game, which was this game, they had a lot of injuries as well. Like, this is essentially nearly a B team. So... It just shows you how far away we are from them. The Vegor score was interesting because it was nice to see us concede a different type of goal for a change. You know, I haven't seen that one yet. It wasn't the usual 25-yarder outside the box. I just think the way Kenny set the team up, the first thing it does is it just doesn't complement our back line or our midfield trying to break a far superior team's press high up the pitch for minute one and continue to try and do it throughout the game even though after the first five minutes they're just passing through our our strikers like that's just you're setting yourself up to fail the team's going to look bad you're not going to get near the ball you're going to give up loads of space and that's essentially what happened all game your striker becomes isolated he went off injured carrying an injury and like we didn't get near them really did we and it was I was just looking at it going is it so offensive to sit, like, okay, Fouteghorst and Gapko are their main two, and Siemens, obviously, but Gapko and Weghorst are their two main goal threats. Okay, we've got quite a lot of height with our centre-backs. Is it the worst idea in the And, okay, Ferguson, if he gets a little chance, he may take it. Is it the worst thing in the world to say, okay, we're going to sit here and we're going to try and set a few traps to them and maybe catch them on the break? Is it that like horrific to to people who watch football now that a team might do that? Like that's what Brighton do. Brighton essentially try and do that. They let teams come onto them and they try and do that. Like I just don't understand why he still like game thirty nine is still setting up the way he sets up away from home against a team that is clearly much better than us. Is it ignorance or is it arrogance? It's one of them. Does he think it's gonna turn eventually? He's just like all of a sudden we're gonna we're just gonna start closing down space and like okay, funny enough, we did it against New Zealand and then New Zealand figured it out and then pumped us for the rest of the game, but we'll get on to that. But it's not something that can be sustained over ninety minutes. Like do we were ran ragged. Like it's it's funny because I I didn't really take a look at any of the stats before tonight. I obviously the shots was the main one. We'd heard about that during the game, like, and essentially it should have been like 5-0, but the fact that the Dutch in the back of their head went, okay, if we concede here to Ireland, it's okay, we've Gibraltar the next game. We are qualified. There is no way we're not qualifying. So I think that played a, a large part in how they actually approached their attacking game. I'd say the manager was furious secretly because they literally tried to walk the ball in on how many, how many occasions. Missed kicks, like, Shots they didn't take. Bazunu made some great. He made like three or four great saves. But like they should have, they should have hammered us, and they didn't. If they were a far more clinical team, if there was no other game after this, they would have. They would have put five past us. But when you look, go down through the stats, and I won't bore people because I know like this game is long forgotten in the memory. If you were to look at the stats here, possession fifty six to forty four, you'd think okay, not bad. They didn't dominate the ball. We had a lot of the ball. That's okay. Passes 613 to 484. Right, okay, they didn't really play much more football than us. Pass accuracy was nearly the same, 88-84. It's when you get down to the fouls. They had 13 fouls. We had five. They had 19 shots on goal. We had three. But they had more fouls. So how does that make sense? Surely the team that's having more shots on goal would have less fouls because the opposition are trying to close them down and stop them. Not in Ireland's case, because as we saw with the goal, we just couldn't get near them, positionally. 
And the fact that they had figured out our plan quite quickly means that we actually just couldn't get near them to kick them. They were just running by us, passing around us. So I think that's just like, it's just a continuation of what we've seen. But it was just, it was quite depressing 39 games in that like even like he knew it was his last hurrah, like competitively. He didn't say, right, maybe we'll we'll try and nick one or something. Like like he did against France in the opening game. Yeah, it was um, just more of the same. And I, I honestly don't know, is it is it ignorance or arrogance? I don't know. I think the the damage was done long before this game. Watching the post-match press conferences, especially I think after the Greece game at home of Stephen Kenny, he just seemed to be completely broken. And the guy was angry after that home game against Greece, but I think the the month between the Gibraltar game and the Dutch game, you know, I calmed down a little and I just accepted that the manager's time in charge was going to pass and um, I was fairly calm in Aviva Stadium uh, for the what turned out to be the final game of Stephen Kenny's time in charge. And it, it's it's a little sad as well that it was uh, James McLean's final time lining out for the Republic as well. You know, I think the, the game itself was a, a bit of a microcosm of Stephen Kenny's entire reign. There was some promising young players on show. There was uh, some positive play in the first half, we went ahead, you know, with a goal from a player that had worked with Stephen Kenny at under-21 level and which has shown faith in throughout his reign in Adamida. We're 1-0 up with half an hour played. Okay, it's it's an end-of-year friendly, possibly the the most end-of-year friendly uh, that I've I've been to. And, and it, just in the second half, it just seemed that New Zealand had gotten a measure of us and you know on paper man for man I don't think they were a better team than us but uh, whatever they put in the the halftime tea or whatever was said in the dressing room in the second half really there was there was only one team in it Ferguson coming on improved the Irish play a little but New Zealand you know can go away thinking that they left a win behind them and uh, we had what, to me, uh, was the absolute farce of giving Andy Moran uh, a little more than 10 minutes at the end of uh, a friendly instead of captaining the under-21s in two qualifiers. Mark, uh, was there anything to be said about that New Zealand game? Absolutely nothing from a Republic of Ireland perspective. The only thing you can say is what a magnificent servant James McLean has been to the country. 103 international caps. It's given he's all his commitment unquestioned. I think that's the only bright spark here. I think you summed up quite well, Joe, in terms of the Stephen Kenny era is really captured in this game. First 20 minutes were on the front foot. We're even thinking, geez, has New Zealand going to pose anything here? The Adamita goal is probably what the Stephen Kenny philosophy was. You know, the, the press, credit to Mark Sykes, maybe he's the only bright spot for me. He gets significant game time. He uh, dispossesses the New Zealand uh, player on the ball. Ida, good finish. And I think it was a massive goal for Adam Ida. You given the, the strikers that are coming in here with a potential new manager uh, coming in here, it was key that Adam Ida really kind of got himself out there. And to be fair, it was a good finish. Uh, like you've tried Parrot, Michael Obafemi, Evan Ferguson. You know, you have various other guys now going to be chomping at the bit to really impress a new international manager for the public foreign team. So, I think besides that, but look, uh, Joel, uh, second half of really descended. We're losing ball in bad areas of the pitch again. Our back line really getting exposed. Again, another goal straight after halftime. Garbutt, straight out, outside the, the area. Look, Kevin Doyle, I think articulated very well, you know, with the reaction of, I think it was a Shane Duffy and, uh, who else was there? Uh, basically, you know, half-hearted blocks on that goal, but to be fair to New Zealand, they sussed us out. I thought they sussed it out after about maybe 35 minutes. I thought we were lucky to maybe go in at halftime one all. And it continued in the second half, to be perfectly honest, Joe, and I think 
if you're the New Zealand manager, I think you're probably scratching your head. One of those goals has to go in. I think Mark Travers is probably, his cameo has probably done him no harm in terms of the saves and uh, his involvement, but I wouldn't have been expecting the massive involvement from Mark Travers after 28 minutes. So I think overall it really, it kind of summed up the Stephen Kenny era really and the team team just didn't perform, weren't good enough to get the result and, uh, you know, we're not being a 103rd ranked team in the FIFA rankings. Kind of says an awful lot, really. You know, you were in the crowd, uh, Joe, at this game. I mean, what was the atmosphere like, um, particularly final, final whistle-wise? And particularly, I suppose, McLean probably got a great send-off, but um, what was the overriding feeling around you in terms of the performance? Was there many boos? Well, the first indication that I got that it, you know, the atmosphere wouldn't be great was actually when I got the dart into Viva Stadium. Like, normally when I get the dart in, in before a game, it's it's packed, uh, you know. It's standing room only. You're not going to get a seat. But in this case, not only had I a choice of seats, I nearly had a choice of carriages where I wanted to sit. There was, I think, four lads uh, at one end of the carriage and a woman at the other end. When I got on, all of the other seats were empty, and it stayed that way most of the way into Viva Stadium. Even when the the Lewis got to Lansdowne Road stop, there, there were still seats, which is just ridiculous and then walking up to the stadium there seemed to be more security guards than actual fans outside the game when we got in when we found our our section and our seats you know we had time to walk around we we were in early enough like the the players had only just come out to start warming up so we went to the bar to get a drink and uh, the bar was completely unattended Uh, there was I think five people Behind the bar and, you know, instead of having to decide which queue to get into, we were trying to, you know, we had to decide which person we wanted to, to ask to serve us. Before in the, one of the pre-match, pre-match press conferences, you know, the manager did say that, uh, there had been 41,000 tickets sold, but I think what was going on said was that, you know, they were sold as a package deal with the qualifier against Greece. And I think the final attendance was given as a little over, 26,000, so you're talking 15,000 people who had paid for a ticket to that game and decided, you know, I'm, I'm just going to stay away. The atmosphere was quite, you know, when a stadium that size is half empty, obviously it affects the atmosphere. And at the the final whistle, there were some boos, but it was drowned out by the stadium announcer, and by the time he had finished speaking, they had, had subsided. I think the last time I was at a game where everyone knew it was probably going to be the la- manager's last time in charge was Brian Kerr's last game against Switzerland in 2005. I guess you could compare the atmospheres, especially at the end of the game. Like the, I think that was a, a sellout because it was a qualifier and we still had a chance of going to the World Cup in 2006 if we had won. And at the end... There was just this sense of resignation that, yeah, his his time is up. Phil, like, you know, watching the game, did you think that, you know, New Zealand might actually come away with a win? Oh, I thought they should have, absolutely. Just on the atmosphere, the first 10 minutes, you could hear everything, everybody was roaring. It really reminded me of COVID. Like, you could hear it really clearly on RTE. I'm one of those people. Now, I didn't pay for a ticket because I was away for the... Uh, the Greece game, I was out of the country so I couldn't go so I didn't bother buying the the bundle package because I knew there'd be tickets to this game and I was working Wednesday morning at 8 o'clock and I've often gone to a game where I'm working the next morning but I just couldn't I I just was like no, I'm not driving 6 hour round trip to go and watch this especially after like the Dutch game when nothing changed and even the likes of Ferguson coming off injured, I was like ah, it's not going to be, you know so, like, I'm one of those people, but it did remind me of a COVID game. New Zealand should have absolutely won that game. If it wasn't for um, Ryan Manning's unbelievable clearance at the back post, back paddling and the header it out, of, that was a sure goal. Keeper was getting nowhere near it. They had, they had loads of chances. And like you said earlier about what was in the water at half time, or, you know, what was said. Nothing was said. I said, the managers got our whiteboard and went, you go here, you go here, you go there. They're all going to go there. And you know what? They never change after that, so we'll be fine. And that's what happened, because they didn't change it again after that. We got figured out at half time. 
they brought on Cullen with a half an hour to go. Nothing changed. We got worse. They brought on Ferguson. We got worse. Nothing happened. They had the better chances. New Zealand should have won the game. And I think it's really, it's, Kenny's getting a lot of sympathy and he should. But there's a lot of kind of, oh, we maybe won't go in too hard on him a bit. Because, you know, but like, it was fucking shite. Again. Like New Zealand. And this, like, you can look at it as a testimonial or friendly, but the fact that they had organised between them before the game, that there was only going to be six subs, gives you a measure of how serious the opposition were going to take it. Like, this was a serious game for New Zealand. They hadn't won in Europe in, like, 13 years or, or got a result, any sort of result in Europe in, like, 13 years. They were going to take it seriously. So, like, it was rubbish. It was absolutely rubbish. And I'll tell you how you know it was rubbish, because... Have you ever seen a crowd or commentators or fans on Twitter get so excited by a lad cutting inside all the time? Like, it's like they've never seen a lad cut inside. It's like, oh, my God, look at this fella, Mikey Johnston. He's cutting inside. Look at this. Okay, great. It's He's good at it. But, like, we have one of the best young fours in the world, apparently. Can't get a kick off the ball to him. Like, it just shows you the dirge of attacking thought. And ideas from that management team when we get so excited by someone like Mikey Johnson and that's all we have to be excited about. That was it. By the goal, which was just from good closing down. I think there's too much like tiptoeing around Stephen Kenny. And people are afraid because he managed, because he did so well in the League of Ireland and he's Irish and he's lost his job and it's fair enough. But if you had to actually have a proper analysis, he's been absolutely terrible this year. Terrible. Beyond terrible. And I think that was just another show of it there on Tuesday. The goal that New Zealand scored as well was probably the most stereotypical goal conceded by a Stephen Kenny team uh, coming in off the right-hand side, uh, outside the area, and conceded uh, at the, the near post. We've talked about this enough times that you know if everyone else who's watching Irish football has recognised that this is a problem with this team. Why, over the course of 40 games, did the management never do anything about it? Um, and it, it kind of felt like an almost fitting end to his time in charge. You might see there's at the end of every kind of Premier League season, there's always, you know, there's the goal of the season. But every now and again on like Instagram or Twitter, that goal of the season competition from like, I don't know when it is, I want to say like, 2009 or 10, it's the one where like Maddie Taylor got three of them and like Paul goals and all this. You could put together a highlight package of goals we conceded under Kenny and it would knock any of them out of the park. You'd have 10 of the finest goals you'd ever seen and all similar. The honour, if you want to call it that, of the last player to be given a debut by Stephen Kenny's time in charge is Brighton's Andrew Moran, currently out on loan at, at Blackburn Rovers, who came on for the last 12 minutes. The story was that he, he was going to be promoted from the under-21s for the qualifier against Gibraltar a month ago. But unfortunately, he got injured in the under-21 game, so he had to miss out. So he was promoted to the senior panel for this for these two games and given 12 minutes at the end of the New Zealand game. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm always delighted when I see a talented player progressing through the ranks and making their, their senior debut, but... This is one of the rare occasions where I think he would have been better served uh, staying with the under-21s. Uh, there are two qualifiers away to Norway and home against Italy. They could have won both games. Unfortunately, losing 3-2 to Norway and conceding a last-minute equaliser to Italy in Turnus Cross. I'm not saying the results would have been different uh, if Morin had stayed with the under-21s, but I think they would have had a better chance of getting more than just the the single point from the two games if he had stayed with them. And, you know, they are still in with a great chance of qualifying for the Under-21 Championships in 2025. They've won qualifier in March against San Marino before facing into uh, their final qualifiers in the second half of the year. So, yeah, I think I genuinely think the player would have been better served uh, staying with uh, Crawford's team. Yeah, I'd agree with you there, Jill. Uh, Andrew Moran's contribution with Blackburn Rovers this year has been probably one of the highlights, uh, I think, of the EFL Championship from a public farm perspective. He's shown amazing potential so far with his assists and goals. But 
his inclusion to the senior squad does destabilize the under twenty one squad. And uh, as you said, Joe, to us off air, the under nineteens were also impacted because there was under nineteen players having to be called up into the under twenty ones. As a result, the under nineteens lost to Belgium. I think everyone knew that the contract was not going to be renewed from Stephen Kenny. So look, Stephen Kenny can probably throw his hat at twenty four new debutants being given their chance under his uh, managerial guidance. But, I mean, 24 players, that, to me, you, you can count it either one way, um, two ways. It's either, you know, progression in terms of getting opportunities or it's completely a chaotic environment. I would go more for the latter. Uh, 24 is far too much in a three-year career uh, with the Republic of Ireland side. Andrew Moran, 12 minutes is just, well, what's he got from it? I would say only just to be involved with training sessions with the senior players. But again, a new manager would have been running to rule over him anyway. And I think the under-21s are in serious trouble in terms of the qualification campaign here, Joe. Talk about San Marino, but like Turkey then subsequently beat Norway 2-0 at home. They're back in with a live chance. Um, Italy, obviously, um, away is going to be a daunting prospect. And Norway at home now is a must-win in Tala. So... I think we've massively dropped the ball in terms of the under-21 campaign, uh, given those two results uh, last week. Yeah, so normally I I disagree, but I think like context is everything. I think at nine times out of ten, when a player is called up to make a senior debut, you shouldn't deny the player that experience, especially at home. And I think I would imagine nine times out of ten, the player would want that more than to play for the under-21s. But I just think this was such a unique situation where you are at the end of the manager's tenure for the senior team and the games are nothing games and it's just going to be a drab affair. And the senior team should probably always take take preference over the under-21s, but I just don't think that was the case in this case. I just think, what was the point? What Like, what was the point? Did he think he was going to bring him on when they were three it up and he might get a goal and then he could go, well, look at that young Andrew. Getting a goal on his debut. Or like, is this what he, is this what goes on in his head? I, I don't know. I do wonder. Like I said it to you the minute he was called up, I said it's pure staff pattern. That's what it looked like. And I think that's what it was at the end of the day. And I think it, like that, as you said, Mark, it's possibly too many players and it won't be looked back on as favorably in, five years' time, when inevitably half of the players he's given debuts to fall by the wayside and plod along in League 1 and League 2, because that is just statistics. That is just the way football works. You know, they're not all going to be world beaters. Evan Ferguson is one of the top young talents in the world now. He is bad hamstrings. Who knows where Evan Ferguson is going to be, you know, in a couple of years. That's the thing. So it probably was the wrong decision. Like, if, if he's good enough to be in the squad... He should be good enough to come on maybe against the Dutch when you're looking to do something different. No, I just think it was one last bit of, well, here, look what I did for Stephen Kenny. And maybe possibly a bit selfish. It reminded me a little of Evan Ferguson's debut 12 months ago against Norway at home. He came on with minutes to play uh, in that game. I that was a case of Jesus. We better give the, we better give them something here. We better give the headline yeah. writers something here to write positively about it. Otherwise, you know. Then he got a couple more minutes against Malta, and that friendly a few days later. I don't feel bad about Irish football now. I think I did at the end of Martin O'Neill's time in charge. There's a good core group of players there that you can build a team around, but it needs a better manager to do that. We, we were in the downward curve when O'Neill finished, player-wise, squad depth-wise, even like tactically-wise, like open by Denmark that time. We were definitely on the downward curve, and I think it was, it was bad. And I think when Stephen Kenny came in, we were probably still on the downward curve, but maybe when we saw a lot of these players coming through and the potential, and that's the word, the word is potential. They weren't coming through as finished articles. There was always ifs, buts, and maybes. I think maybe we thought before this qualifying campaign that we had plateaued and we were kind of maybe getting ready to go in the upshot again. But I think he just got stuck in second gear and he's just plateaued along ever since. I do think if they get, no, I don't know who, but if they get someone decent in charge with a higher pedigree than Stephen Kenny, 
I think there will be an upshot because the players are there. The players are there to do a lot better. Maybe not qualify, but their players are, are there to do a lot better than we've done in this qualifying campaign. There's no doubt about it. Like, you look at all these aggregator accounts and they'll tell you, this player's, oh, James, uh, Nathan Collins, Gavin Mizuno, uh, Ryan Manning, Andrew Moran, play this guy, play that guy, he's great, he's great, look what he's doing every week. And then they'll come out and they'll say the same thing, oh, what's Stephen Kenny meant to do, you know, we don't have the players. You know, doesn't ring true. We have enough of a squad there if it's set up to the squad strengths to do a lot better than we've done under Stephen Kenny. That is a fact. That's a fact. So I wouldn't be... I'd be I, I, I'm nearly looking forward to it already. I'm nearly looking forward to next year. Do you know? Because we, we know we're going to see something different. So that's, that's at least exciting. You know, we all knew after the game against Holland what we were going to see on Tuesday night. But now we actually don't know what we're going to see at all. So it is a bit exciting. I have to stay positive. Yeah, I think whoever comes in, though, guys, I think the culture has to improve. The culture for players to develop and get leadership. The last few games, for me, has been very stark in terms of player leadership on the pitch. That comes from your management team. The preparation and trying to really drum in the confidence into these players. I know the results haven't gone according to plan, but again, first goal goes in uh, in the Amsterdam Arena. arena. You can see the heads drop immediately here. I'm going to be fascinated to see who this new manager is because it's that culture in terms of identifying players' strengths and weaknesses and really adopting an approach here that will be making us more competitive. And by me saying more competitive, I'm saying win a few football games starting from March on. We shouldn't really ditch the whole passing ethos that Stephen Kenny has tried to implement. The vision was very admirable. But again, we're seeing quite clearly here in recent internationals, players have been played out of position. And uh, really, the Stephen Kenny and the management team really know they're the players, to be perfectly honest. So I think a new manager, a new experienced manager comes in, is doing an awful lot more, you know, work in terms of behind the scenes to really kind of get these players bought into whatever system is going to be uh, deployed here because it needs it. I think <laughs> you probably need some psychological experts in here as well because it has been a tough 12, 18 months for an awful lot of these players. They've tried their damnedest to get results over the line, but nothing's happened. So I think it's going to be very interesting. Whoever comes in, it's going to be a big job just to kind of repair the confidence uh, of a few of these players here. This is going to sound a bit, you know, football manish, but and I can remember the Dundalk's runs in Europe and that. But is he a soft touch with players? I just I'm speculating. I just cannot imagine that Stephen Kenny absolutely just bollocking the head off Shane Duffy for giving away a square ball or Josh Cullen or you know, it's a bit primitive like. But I just I just can't see it like. Was he a bit just too soft or too nice, or he almost looked sheepish all the time on the on the sideline? Like obviously when he was with Dundalk, he was with players every day, and it's totally different. So the the players get to know you, and they get to know your mannerisms, and they get to know the way you work, and you have more of a time to embed your message into them. But was he just maybe just a bit too? I don't want to say shy, but not not aggressive enough, or not strong enough in in getting his message across to these players because it really doesn't look like any of them have learned anything about what way he wants to play at all like really they don't look like a cohesive team at all and I think the the biggest pointer to that is the fact that these changes are starting 11 as as much as anybody like never a consistent team or a cohesive team so I just wonder like was he was he just too soft or is that a bit basic? Uh, I don't know if soft is the right word, but maybe, you know, we've all seen him in front of the cameras and he's quite softly spoken and there's nothing wrong with that. But yeah, you kind of wonder if he was the kind of manager who could, you know, tear the paint off, off the dressing room walls uh, after a bad result. I think what I'd like to see in the next manager is 
a plan B. You know, uh, we said this so many times that, you know, the Mike Tyson's all saying everyone's got a plan until you get punched in the face. Uh, holds true, uh, for the, for Stephen Kenny's reign. You know, we got punched a lot and we did, we didn't know what to do. Whatever plan we had went out the window. Uh, I don't have the stats to hand, but I would like to know how many games we recovered from going behind in to get a result. I know it doesn't happen very, very often for Irish teams, but I, I suspect that it was, it happened very few times, uh, under Stephen Kenny's time in charge. <sighs> Uh, yeah. Sounds great about this Stephen Kenny reign. <laughs> yeah. But again, I think it goes back to the backroom staff. Again, you know, he's era. I know we'll talk about it at length before the end of the year or so, but how many other international teams have we seen in the last three, three and a half years with the fluctuation of backroom staff members coming in, coming out? Uh, I think from a player perspective, you know, if you're coming into an international camp having to deal with a new coach, you know, all that sort of stuff. I think it was just a malaise, to be perfectly honest. That summer camp in Turkey before the Greece game should have been the opportunity for them to really hone in on their message and their vision and getting their tactics spot on. And what we got in Athens was just, it was well short. So I think from my perspective, Kenny, I think, might have lost a bit of value, particularly after that England-friendly game as well and Wembley as well. And it never really recovered thereafter. I mean, we did have the Scottish win in the Nations League where we were at, but we were all at Tyler was turning a corner. But again, it's, it's that just the messaging, I think, here across the board, not just Stephen Kenny here. And yeah, it was just an inevitable conclusion. Like the fact that the FAI basically releases a statement less than 24 hours after New Zealand again told you everything, didn't it? Was it really a review? I think they already made their mind up weeks ago. Oh, absolutely. But I think you, you hit on a good point there with the summer camp. I think, you know, there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of talk from Kenny and the backroom team about how, you know, they've struggled with time with the players due to COVID and injuries and all that. And this, you know, he really hung his hat on the fact that, okay, I am a coach first and foremost, and I'm going to take these players for two weeks and we are going to sort out my game plan. They're going to learn it. We're going to, you're really going to see it now. And they went backwards. I think that was the that was the biggest alarm bell. I think because that is just a case of right. The players are either not buying into the message, or the message is just not. He's just not getting the message through to them. One or the other, or two of the same, I suppose. But that could have, you know, that was a big turning point for Stephen Kenny as Ireland manager. I think because it, from there, really, really kind of just thought, okay, this probably isn't going to work. Where, you know, you're waiting for so long. There was so, like, even the France game, you're, you're waiting for so long. All these little glimmers here and there. You're thinking, maybe it's just, we just need a spark. We just need that one result and we're going to kick off. But actually, I was, the lads I was watching the game with there on Tuesday night, I said, you know what? If Magic Mike does not save that header against us in the Aviva, I said, we would have finished with seven points. And it wouldn't have been much different. I, I think the way Kenny managed the team, I don't think that one result, I don't think that spark was ever going to ignite anything. I think we would just would have continued on the way we were. I think it would have been, oh, you know, an outlier like the, the Scotland game. So, yeah, glad it's over. <laughs> <laughs> I think I am too. It's never a happy occasion um, to see any manager lose their job. But I think... I, I think I do think that Stephen Kenny has left something for the next manager to build on, and as like we said at the end of Martin O'Neill's time in charge, that was very much not the case. I think we've started to see some uh, encouraging signs of Irish players at Premier League level. You know, we we really did reach an idea about maybe two seasons ago. I think the numbers have slowly started to increase or to improve since then. Look, it could be the next manager after the next manager that gets to reap the very best of uh, of these players. I don't think we're going to be as starved of players coming through from now on. It, it definitely the trend seems to be upwards with players coming through. Like I would, like Sam Curtis is a perfect example. Like Sam Curtis this winter, in a, a few years ago, could very possibly be going, be going over to an academy team and getting lost. 
and maybe getting an appearance here or there and maybe not doing much. Now, like, he's, he could, he'll be playing some European qualifiers next year, you know? And he might say another season or two and then he might actually kick on when he's ready for first team football across the water. So I think that's going to be the, tra- like we've talked about it, he both talked about it at length, but that, that trend is only going to help with the development of younger players in this country. And you can see the opportunities now they're getting with the under 21s. And like it is like whatever he did on the pitch didn't work really. It didn't. But what he's done off the pitch, like the interest garnered was huge when he took over the under 21s job. Because we were kind of in the mire of Mick McCarthy at the time. We could see we weren't really going anywhere. And, like, there was never that much interest in the under-21s before Stephen Kenny took over. Let's be honest, like. Like, if you see all the accounts and, like, even the attendances now, like, for games. Like, everybody knows all the under-21 players. We all know Sinclair Armstrong. We know we all know Andrew Moore. We know these guys. We're watching them. We're following them. So, if he's done one thing, he's actually started something, again, in Irish football, and he's got people interested. And okay, interest waned with the senior team at the end of his tenure. Clearly it has. But the interest is still there with the under-21s. And now people are starting to watch these players in the League of Ireland. And it's whatever about the debuts, there will be positive effects from that. So I think that is one, like, that's definitely a big plus in his ledger. And you, you wonder, like... Is there a role upstairs for him in the future? Maybe don't make the same mistake we made with Brian Kerr. Like, he clearly loves Irish football. He he was proactive in going getting players. Okay, none of them all worked out, but he was still going to get them. You know, so maybe there's something there in the future for him. So I think that's that's positive to, to go on. Yeah, I'd just be wondering, guys, your opinion of the FAI and their managerial selection process after the Stephen Kenny era. I see Joel's <laughs> That's the, the arms on his hands there. But, um, oh, Joel has his the, head in his hands, everybody. Yeah, yeah <laughs> uh, kind of uh, elephant in the room. But look, I'm coming from it from an agile philosophy mindset here. What are the lessons learned from the FAI here on the managerial appointment? The next managerial appointment seems as if it's kind of emerging here, if the five backroom staff members have now been let go. So, guys, in terms of crystal ball stuff, um, what are the FAI now looking for? in an international manager to manage this team, uh, I suppose, Joe? I think organisation. The frustrating thing for me about Stephen Kenny's time in charge was that you could see what he was trying to do. And there were passages of play where we did play some good football and you could see he was trying to change the mentality around, but he just wasn't good enough. And as I say, every time we got we had a plan, right up until the point we, we got punched in the face and he didn't have a plan anymore. He was too slow to react to to changes in the game. Greece took 10 minutes to figure us out in Athens and 15 minutes to figure us out in Aviva Stadium. New Zealand took about half an hour to figure us out on Tuesday night. You can't uh, account for every eventuality in football, but you can coach players to adapt. And it just seemed that we were a little over-coached in some respects. I mean, I, I think I said it after the Gibraltar game, if Gibraltar got a, a free or a corner or a throw, a throw in close to our box, they'd push forward and we'd regain possession, but we'd hold on to the ball until the players were in the correct position to receive the ball, you know, which they probably, which to me is what you do on the training ground. But it, it meant that we, like, in the, while we were waiting for players to get into position, Gibraltar got back and were back in their two banks of four or two banks of five. And the opportunity for a break was lost. So I think we, yeah, we need to find a balance between coaching players on how, on how you want them to play and also giving them the freedom to express themselves, um, in certain, in certain situations. Look, you could say that, you know, you only want the manager to pick the players that are in form, but we all know that that's not going to happen. You don't want a manager to have his favorites, but every manager has, has their favorites. When Stephen Kenny was appointed, I was happy with the the procedure that led to that well to Mick McCarthy getting the senior job and him being appointed as under twenty one manager. Okay, it it was a little bit different, but it was the FBI showing a little bit of initiative. You know, it was promotion for the League of Ireland. You know, he was the outstanding manager over the last eight years or so. 
we can go into this a little bit more when we do our, our review of Stephen Kenny's time in charge, but I think it could be a long time before we see another League of Ireland manager, even in the, the running for the national team job. So, yeah, that's what I, I'd like to see is um, adaptability, maybe a greater level of adaptability to changes in a game that Stephen Kenny never really seemed to show. Yeah, I actually, funny enough, I wouldn't trust them with the fiver, but I actually do have high hopes to make a good appointment. Like, Stephen Kenny was the right appointment. He talked a good game, he had a good record, played a nice brand of football that we all wanted to see, he was going to promote from the youth, he was going to look at the League of Ireland, he ticked all the boxes, it just didn't work out for him, so be it. Now they've got rid of him at the right time, maybe it could have been sooner, they didn't, but okay, but they've got rid of him. Clara Powell was the right appointment at the time. She qualified a team for the World Cup, they got rid of her at the right time. Jim Crawford has been a good appointment for the under-21s. They have made good appointments in the last few years, even though not everything has worked out as well as they've hoped it to be. So I actually do think they will make probably the best appointment they can make because, like, it's all about financials with the FAI. We know that. And I think the fact that they lost their funding from private donors made them think long and hard about who they were going to put in place as Irish managers, Joe, as you mentioned, with Mick McCarthy and Stephen Kenny taking the 21s and that. Like, they were all the right appointments at the time. We all were happy with them. No one went, oh, fuck's sake. You know, this is the thing. So, Joe, you say maybe another League of Ireland managers doesn't get a look in for a long time. I still, to this day, 100% believe that if the funding wasn't cut for the FAI, Stephen Kenny would have never got a look in as Ireland manager. I think a lot of it came down to money, and I don't care what anyone says. They can say, you know, oh, no. The FAI didn't all of a sudden go, wow, look at this guy. They went, this is going to be some good press, and this guy may be a wild card, and we might get banged for a buck here. And I think it's going to have to be the same sort of appointment again. And maybe it makes them think a little bit more about it. Maybe they just don't go, right, we've got two million. Who's up? Who can we get for two million? Take a list of names from England and go, boom, him. He, he might qualify us. I think they might actually, they might make the right appointment. Like, the pot will be small to choose from. You know, we've already seen the names. We don't need to go over them. As regards what I'm looking for in a manager, I'm just looking for a manager who understands international football. Stephen Kenny didn't understand international football. He didn't. He he was a good club manager. He probably will go on to be a, a, a successful club manager again. He's only 52. But he did not understand how international football works. And I think that's that's what Ireland need next. And I think I think they'll get it. And I think that we talked about the young players already. There's plenty of reasons to be positive. So I think we should all just get behind Roy Keane. Let bygones be bygones. <laughs> Let the civil war be ended, uh, Phil. I have been saying Roy Keane for the last two years on this podcast, and you're going to ease it when he gets the job, rightly or wrongly. Wrongly, in my opinion, but. It would, it would not, if you see him go on Monday Night Football, lads, anytime soon, as an actual, like, pundit standing up a character, we know we're in trouble. Yeah, yeah who knows, who knows how they get. But, but I think they'll, they'll, they'll make a good appointment. They've made some good appointments in the past, like the last three or four overall. I think, I think the appointments that they've made for the, the women's team as well have been positive. Fear Powell. Might have her reign didn't end well, but I think the appointment you know did get to a a World Cup. Um, and it's not the head in the sand FAI that it was, Joe, as you're saying. Like they yeah. they see they see which way the wind is blowing, and they go right. You're done. Goodbye. We might be okay. Who would you uh, take with Roy Keane's number two? <laughs> uh, Neil Lennon, just to really drive up the number of coronaries in the country. Oh, um, Him included, I'd say. Yeah, I I think what has emerged, you know, during Stephen Kenny's reign and Martin O'Neill's reign before that is that the assistant role is as is is we already we always knew the assistant manager's role was important, but I think that Roy Keane is obviously a very high profile person in Ireland no matter what he does, but as the assistant to the national team manager, you know, it it brought an extra level of focus on that role. 
we've talked about what Keith Andrews has brought as part of the coaching ticket, uh, you know, over the last three years. And whoever does get appointed as senior manager, having the right uh, assistant is going to be as important. Just looking quickly here at Paddy Power, just so we can end on a, a lighter note. I'll give, will I give you the, the current odds? Rafa is 33 to 1. He's not going to leave Celta Vigo to take over the Ireland job. He's about to get sacked, I think. Well, possibly. But it wouldn't be enough money for him. Although he does have a house in Liverpool, and, you know, yeah. Dublin to Liverpool runs half an hour. It's not too bad. Uh, John O'Shea, 40 to 1. Duffer, obviously not, 25 to 1. John Eustace, 25 to 1. I would Possibly. say John Eustis is, I'd say he would be considered. I think Anthony seriously Barry. considered. Anthony Barry, Chris Uden, who has, did Chris Uden get sacked last night? I know Ghana lost, or they no, were losing. They He's on the verge of being sacked. Sam Allardyce, 9 to 1, Steve Bruce, 11 to 2. Roy Keane was 9 to 1 a few days ago, apparently. Roy Keane is the favourite at 5 to 2. The manager of the Irish national team is one of the, you know, it's probably the most high-profile position, sporting position in the country outside of actual players. From what the FAI have said, the process has already begun, but historically appointments are usually announced in January. So I'd say we're at least a month away from any kind of confirmation on who that manager might be. We hope, I hope that you've enjoyed listening to myself, Mark and Phil talking about the last two games of Stephen Kenny's reign. Instead of our usual end of year review, we've planned a, a review of Stephen Kenny's entire time in charge. Look out for that in the next few weeks. It's another year of Irish football done, I suppose, and we'll have our year to review. And We're just sorry it didn't work out for Stephen Kenny, but these things happen. You know, he's not the first manager who's going to lose his job, and he's definitely not the last. So we'll just we'll see where we go in the new year. Like Phil there, you know, I think, uh, you know, in fairness to Stephen Kenny, he's an honourable guy in terms of how he approached the job. Uh, it hasn't worked out. You know, he was given ample opportunity. The hope is, though, he has set the foundations for whoever comes in into the new role. So, look, I uh, wish Stephen Kenny all the best. You know, definitely there might be a club management job there for him. And also, maybe long term, he maybe go back to the FAI and uh, start nurturing the grassroots as well. Because, you know, his vision is something that would really appeal to the FAI um, cohort. I'd like to thank... Mark and Phil for joining me uh, on the on the podcast again. You can follow Mark online at Hawkeye Psychic, and you can follow Phil at Philip Flanagan. You can follow me on Twitter at Irish underscore abroad, and on Facebook as Irish Football Statistics. Like we said throughout the episode, it's always sad when the manager uh, loses his job, but you know it means that with the new year there could be you know brings change and hopefully an improvement in the fortunes of the national side. We look forward to talking to you soon and uh, take care of yourselves, okay?